If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to continue uh, in our series. I want you to go to Luke chapter 8. And um, before, uh, you know, we kind of get into uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of this message, I want to tell you why I'm sharing this message. You know, we are seeing God move in powerful ways in this church. I, I, if you would just allow me to, just for one, in one way. Now listen, we've done lots of camps and lots of outreaches up to this point this year. And I, I just want to let you know that to this point, we have seen over 500 people this year make decisions for Christ, either first time or rededication through every, through Sunday morning. I think it's reason to give God a praise. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. Now, uh, with that being said, uh, you know, uh, God doesn't bring you to a place that is that is uh, where, where, where he's moving and lives are being changed and, and people are connecting meaningfully to Jesus just so you can one day say, oh, I've, I went to Calvary. I sat in those services. No, God actually wants us all to be a meaningful part of what he is doing in the region. It's not that, hey, I was in the room when something happened. No, I was actually uh, empowered by God to be a part of what he was doing. Now, what he is doing has a name. It's called a kingdom of God. It's the kingdom. It's expanding. Now, that's a big idea. And so we need explanation about that. And when Jesus wanted to give any explanation about the kingdom, he told stories. He did. He told stories. He was a great storyteller. Um, those stories have a name. In the scripture, they're called parables. They're, they're basically given to illustrate some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. And it conveys a meaning indirectly so that, that, so that through that comparison, we get understanding. So when we're seeing the kingdom expand, we need to go back and look at the stories. And here's why. In Luke 8, Jesus says something powerful. These two verses are the hinge of understanding God's kingdom and God's uh, and why he speaks to us in these stories. It says, then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you should know some mysteries. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that your spouse should be hiding something from you, okay? Uh, no, this means that I need to be a person when I'm connected to God who understands things which were hidden from many but now in Christ have been revealed. So, he says, to you, believers, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest... It's given in these parables, these stories, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And parables were used by Jesus to distinguish between the disciple and the religious. The religious would hear him tell the story, and at the end of the story, they would just walk away. Say, what, what is this madman talking about? Why does he keep 
telling us about these obscure things? Why is this rabbi not, not helping us to dive deeper into the truths that many of our other rabbis have done? And they would walk away. But disciples would hear the stories and illustrations, and they would follow Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to speak to me. Tell me about this story. Tell me more. Now, parables, what we find here, they reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. These stories told by Jesus reveal hidden truths that apply to us today. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned this last week. I was driving down the road, literally minding my own business, thinking about my schedule, who I was going to meet with, uh, and, and, and the, the, the tasks that needed to be done for the day. And then out of the blue, the Lord spoke to me, and he said these words, my kingdom is bigger than you know. I wasn't thinking about the kingdom. I wasn't even asking about the kingdom. And so, you know, uh, if you misinterpret that, you could think, well, uh, is God just picking on you about what you don't know? No, he's not. When God makes a statement like, my kingdom is bigger than you know, it is an invitation from him to come and discover something he wants you to see. Could be something in plain sight. So I started going back to the stories, and it led me to something small. I heard a story about something small that was ravaging the South, the boll weevil. Good save on that Apple computer in Jesus' name. <laughs> the boll weevil, a pest that was making its way up from uh, Mexico that a couple of hundred years ago was actually beginning to, to ravage the cotton crop in the south. And a very smart, both farmer and scientist came along and said, uh, we cannot only rely on cotton. We have to change up the crop in order to, to deal with this pest that's coming, this small thing that's coming. Well, that scientist and farmer was George Washington Carver. His, re his recommendation was peanuts and others, but primarily the peanut. He said, you, we need to grow something like the peanut. And it will deal with this issue of this pest, and there'll be a harvest, and it'll be wonderful. Well, after a couple of years, the farmers bought in and began to rotate their crops, and they began to plant the peanuts. Well, the peanut harvest was enormous. I mean, there were peanuts literally everywhere all over the South. And it, they, were, they were vast. There were so many peanuts that people were going to, they started to ask, what in the world are we going to do with all these peanuts? And George Washington Carver was a man of God. He loved the Lord. And, and with this bumper crop, with all of these peanuts around him, he says, okay, God, you had me give these people advice. They followed my advice, and now we have all of these peanuts. 
you got to talk to me. I need some understanding. So he asked God, first of all, he says, okay, God, help me to understand the universe. And God's answer was simple to this brilliant man. That is too big for your small brain. He then would say, okay, uh, all right, if not the universe, God, explain to me the full purpose of man. God's answer, similar. Still too big for you, George. So he looked around at what was in abundance. The small Seed grown under the ground, legume, the peanut. It says, God, talk to me about the peanut. And he would then begin to pull apart the peanut and look at it. Uh, and, and there from his own uh, scientific study, over 300 uses of the peanut would evolve from his discoveries. Now, contrary to what most people think, he did not discover peanut butter. How do you miss that? And I would say to the discoverer of peanut butter, how in the world did you miss that if you covered it in chocolate and called it Reese, it takes it to another level. <laughs> Especially when you put it in the freezer. I feel God moving in this place. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, so what did he do? In order to make big advances... God needed him to look at something small. Let me say to you today, in order for us to make big advances in the kingdom of God, sometimes we need to look at something small. This is why I'm sharing with you the message today called the seed of the kingdom. Now, it's from Luke chapter 8. I just want to warn you in the very beginning. We're going to go to this story about a farmer who sows seed. Many of you, if you've been around the Bible for a long time, you probably have heard this story. Maybe even, uh, you know, a hundred sermons on this. I don't know. I would caution all of you today to not make an early judgment. I want you to be careful how you listen today, which will bring that back all the way at the end. I want you to, to just take in this truth, and perhaps there's something in this parable of the sower, which, by the way, Jesus says in one gospel, if you don't understand this one, you won't understand all of the rest. So this is kind of the pinnacle this is kind of the leaping off place, and there are many truths 
Hundreds, like George Washington Carver. Many applications of the peanuts. We're only going to grab two of them today from this passage. But let's read it together. Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 4. And it says this, And when a great multitude had gathered, uh, they had come to him from every city. He spoke a parable, a story. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. At this point, the religious left. They thought, this rabbi, I don't understand why he's coaching us on farming. We know when the barley needs to be sown. We know how to plow. We know how to do these things. Why is this rabbi bringing it up? And the religious would leave frustrated. The disciples said, there's got to be something more to this little story about a little seed. And he said, there is. And in verse 11, he explains it. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Uh, and these have no root who believe for a while, but in a time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Today, I want us to look closely at the seed. The seed is the word of God. And I want to bring up some truth about this seed from this story that I think sometimes is often neglected when you read this. First of all, the seed of the kingdom is sown to everyone. The seed of the kingdom is sown to everyone. Because uh, all of these various places represent people by the wayside. Some fell on rock. Some fell on thorns. Others fell on good ground. God sows his word to everyone. Let me make it very personal to you today. God is sowing his word to you today. Let me make it even more personal God has a word for you today. He has a word for you today. Now, some of you, as soon as I said that, you're like, well, I'm not sure about that. By the wayside? Rock? What's going on there? Let's read the word together. You see, the seed of the word of God... And God, what he's saying, it's available 
to all. I make no apologies in telling you that people who say the word of God is only for a few elect, they have lost it and they have missed the purpose of the seed and what this tells us from the very beginning. Yes, we are called, uh, we are called the elect, but the seed here goes out toward all. Notice what God says in 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who's he sowing the seed of the word of God, which can and will bring change? He is sowing it to all. It's his will that, he, that everyone would let the seed work in their lives. God's extending grace to everyone. You see in Romans 6.10, he says, for the for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Come on, if you're, being, if you're in this place and you've ever said, well, I'm, I'm glad this Christianity thing works for my wife, but I'm not sure it'll work for me. It's for everyone. This is for you. Everyone who's listening under the sound of my voice watching online, this is for you. God is speaking to you and extending his undeserved favor. You see, God's word to you today is this. I desire for you to receive the price I paid so you can live. That's his word for you today. Do you know that? He's saying that over you. I desire that you would receive the full payment paid for us in Calvary. That is my desire. Now, I have a question. Don't answer it too quickly. And I want you to think about this. In light of this verse, does God always get his way? We want to say yes because he's God, but the answer is no, he doesn't. He does not always get his way. How do we know that? Because people end up in an eternity separated from him in a place called hell. And yet he has said, it is not my will that any perish. You say, why? Here's the truth, and you can write this down. Every relationship based on love demands the dignity of choice. Every relationship based on love. And do you know, you're, you're, uh, the number one command uh, from the Lord is not uh, go to church. The number one uh, 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 command from the Lord is not feed the poor. The number one command uh, from the Lord is not uh, return the tithe. By the way, I'm listing all of the things that we should all be doing. But did you know that there is a number one command? A number one. 
It's preeminent, and all others are governed by it. It is this, that we should love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength. And without the dignity of choice, how could it be love? Here's how I know this is so true because God's word put it, puts it plainly in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you, listen to these words, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Both you and your descendants that you and your descendants may live. God is saying, listen, yes, there is a real choice, but the will of God is that you would choose life. This is him sowing the word to everyone, the word that all who repent and believe will be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be born again. That word is going out, but Jesus recognizes that not a problem with the seed or something that goes on in the soil of men's hearts. But many times what we have done is we've made indictments against God rather than go the way of self-examination. We put God on trial and say, if I were God, I would not do this or I wouldn't do that. And I want to tell you, much like what God spoke to George Washington Carver, perhaps the great purposes of man are beyond us. He described well within Isaiah, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts above your thoughts. And I would counsel you today to knowing and placing your faith in this, that God is good and he is sending out his word to everyone so that they could choose. And look at me today, young man, young woman in this place. Grandma, grandpa, listen, today choose life in Christ. Choose life in Christ. This seed has come to you. The second thing I want you to see today is that the seed of the kingdom will produce. It will produce. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, um, as soon as it sprang up, that was in the rocky soil. This seed sprang up. Verse 7, it says, uh, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it. That means the, the seed, it was springing up. So were the thorns. But then verse 8, it says, and some fell on good ground and sprang up. Do you see this over and over again? Is that the seed of God's word will produce life. Listen, even in hard places, even in hard areas of our life, there will be those moments where, where God's word comes and wow, there's an explosion. And yet, maybe for couple of different reasons we we don't experience the fullness of it notice the life in the seed regardless of the environment in which it is sown 
Here's what you and I need to understand about this seed as we look at the small believing for God to move in big ways is that God's word, the seed of God's word, will produce eternal life. It will. You say, why are you telling us this? Because if we believed that the seed of God's word would really produce eternal life, we'd share it. We would be, we'd be spreading the seed. But when we don't believe that it will work, we sit in our silence with our remotes. We think, man, those... There's a couple people down at Calvary, man. They're talking all about God, but, you know, I'm not real sure about all of that. You see, you got to believe that the word will produce eternal life. Do you know that for those who are born again, how you were born again? James 1.18 says, of his own will, he, was br he, he brought us for forth, how? By the word of truth, that we might be kind, a kind of first fruits of of, of his creatures. That means, he goes, by the word of truth, you were born again. By the word. You and I don't get to, to somehow take a time machine back 2,000 years and go to Capernaum and sneak into Peter's house when Jesus is healing his mother-in-law to see the miracle. We don't then get to walk behind him as he goes into the synagogue and heals every single person that shows up. Although in heaven, I'm like, God, I, I, I want to watch that one. No, we don't, we don't get that. How are we born again? By the word, by the telling of who he is and what he did, and by faith in that word. That's how we're born again. And John 3, 3 says, this is Jesus, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you can't see the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God and its expansion. And people who, who are on the outside, and perhaps you're, you're one that, that's here today, you're like, man, all I can see are problems. All I can see is the brokenness. All, and, I, and I would say to you, as the church, we've actually gone far too long ignoring the brokenness. But I would say to you, because you're born again, you can see the kingdom, which is actually an answer to the brokenness. And so we carry the life-changing message, and that word will produce, and then what? You'll be born again, and then more people, the eyes are open. 1 Peter 1.23 says something powerful and revelatory about the seed of the word of God. It says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Have you ever asked this question? Why do Christians live forever? Because the seed you received when you believed is eternal. And because the seed is eternal, you then receive eternal life through Christ. The message of the gospel is eternal. I can testify that in many different nations, in many different languages, the word, the seed, works. 
I've watched the seed of the word of God work in the Saturay Malwez Indians along the shore of the Amazon. Pink dolphins in the river. You preach the gospel and the gospel works in the language. I've watched it in Honduras. I watched it in Macedonia, one of the least evangelized nations in the world, even after all of the growth of the early church, Macedonia, Eastern Church. I've watched the gospel and the seed of the word of God go into Muslim ears who hear it, receive it, and believe it, and their sons and daughters are eternal eternally transformed. I'm telling you, this seed has life in it. The seed of carrying the word of God. Now, this has all kinds of applications personally and corporately. The seed of God's word contains that power to bring forth life. Most notably, eternal life. But we see here in this story that the seed can be hindered. And the reason I bring up the hindrances is because I actually believe with all of my heart the reason why the church is failing in America is because the seed has been hindered. Why the church is, is, is falling in numbers globally I would say not here regionally, but globally, by the grace of God, we are seeing the seed actually do. And it could be the hindrances that come. We, what are the hindrances? Well, first he mentions the birds of the air, which is what? Satan. He comes immediately to steal the seed. That word comes. Maybe you're under the sound of my voice and you've heard the gospel before. And immediately, uh, you know, uh, doubt, unbelief. You, you, you kind of hear it coming at you like, oh man, this story again. It could be that without you even knowing, my brother, my sister, Satan's been at work behind you. You say, I don't believe in Satan. You're his favorite kind of believer. The one who doesn't believe that he's doing anything. And I've got news for you. Satan is not scared of anyone. You know what terrifies Satan? The idea that the seed of the word of God would get inside of fallen flesh. The fallen flesh would begin to look like the risen Savior. That terrifies Satan. So when the word goes forth, immediately he comes. He's like, I'm trying to steal it. Like the, the, the ones in, in, in here right now who you're thinking, I, I, I got to go pee right now. That's the devil. <laughs> or too much coffee. But there are other hindrances. It's not just the devil. Because I don't want to make you think that all of this we can blame him. Because according to this story... There's enough personal blame to discover. We find that there was a, a time where the seed falls on rocky ground. It immediately springs up, but a time of testing comes. Man, can I get a witness? Anybody ever gotten a word from God? Man, 
God gives you a promise, and then you, I mean, you just dare to start to believe it, and it feels like everything starts to fall apart. You're like, what in the world is going on? You say, what is that? That's testing or temptation, listen to me, for the word's sake. Now, I, that's, that's a whole other teaching, but I'm here to say to you that if you would dare to believe what God has declared over you, you can expect that's going to be tempted and tested. Meaning like, okay, things get a little bit tough. You place your faith in Christ. You're starting to walk with him and things get tough. What are you going to do? Are you going back to that ungodly re uh, relationship? Are you going back to the bottle? Are you going back to the prescription? Are you going back to those things? Or are you going to say, God, deepen the soil of my life so I do not return to the vomit from which I came? Yeah. Testing comes. That's every person. But the other thing that hinders is really clear. It's self-centered living. It's the riches of this world, the cares of this life, the busyness. Here's the word of God. We believe it, but we want Jesus and. What happens is the cares of this world choke the seed to the point that your life bears no eternal fruit. That you're not, you're not winning people to Christ. You're, you're not giving your life to those kingdom purposes. Why? Well, I, I just really don't have the time. I, I, I just can't afford to do that right now. Choke. And what we find here is that all of these issues are heart problems. They're all heart problems. It's not a problem with the seed. It's a problem with our hearts. So what do we have to learn from this today is that we need to tend the soil of our hearts. We have to maintain a pure environment for God's word. Proverbs 4.23, you probably know it, it says, uh, keep your heart with all diligence or guard your heart, for out of it springs the issues of life. Where do they come from? Out of our hearts. Now, what I'm about to say to you, we're going to find it in the Word, but some of us need to write this down. How you hear will condition your heart. How you hear, the filter of your thinking. This is very important as we're looking deeper at this small seed of the Word of God, that we understand this, that if we're really going to be a part of God doing something big, we need to look at this small area and we're saying, okay, God, what are you going to do? What do I need to do? I need to address how I'm hearing. It conditions your heart. I think in the church, sometimes we have a heart problem because we have a hearing problem. 
And here's what I mean by that. The word of God gets declared and immediately the filter says, oh, that won't work for me. The word of God comes forth and says, you are holy to be consecrated and fully given to God. And you say, well, yeah, but you, yeah, that, I, that, I, you don't know what I did last weekend. No, you're, you're the one that is, that, is, that is meant to live in purity and holiness. And you're like, man, you don't understand the promiscuous past. I, I get it, but that's your filter. Now, what I'm about to say to you, after having prefaced it with those truths, now we're going to read Luke 8 and you're going to see how Jesus addressed this directly. He's continuing after this parable of the sower. And he says, no one, when he's little lamp, covers it, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Verse 18, therefore, take heed. Notice that word, how. How you hear, not what you hear, how you hear. There is a what you hear in another gospel. But this says, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away. He's saying, listen, you're actually in danger of not fulfilling uh, you know, God's call on your life. Why? Because of that filter. You can't let a, a filter of wrong thinking, a stronghold or pattern of thought, maybe it's been embraced by your family for years, decades, generations. You can't let a stronghold of thought rob you of truth. When the truth comes, you're saying, no, I need to be careful how I hear. Now, in most Bibles, by the way, after verse 18, like, there's usually like a little division as if he was moving on. And yet, he's not moving on. He actually says, verse 19, it says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was, it was told by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Verse 21, But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. He didn't change the subject. You see, the filter through which we hear, it's our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions will determine the room we make for the seed of the Word of God. The seed will produce, but are we, as believers, or even hearers, are we going to make room for the Word? Most people think this way. They'll hear something like, hey, lay hands on the sick and you'll see them recover. Immediately, the filter comes. That's for pastors. Full-time missionaries. That won't work for me. You hear verses like, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
Yeah, but not for my addiction. After all, I've been smoking cigarettes for 40 years. You see the filter? Oh, uh, be sober. Yeah, but, you know, I only overdrink at home. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you know what you're doing? You are robbing yourself of the potential liberty by limiting the effectiveness of the word with a filter you've embraced that you didn't get from God. You didn't get that filter from God. You got it from culture. Got it from experience. And believe me, Culture and circumstance experience, they try to give us all filters. God says, I want, I want to be your filter. Let me help some people today. For those who, who deal with unbelief, so now that includes all of us. Those of us who have to confront unbelief in our life when it comes to, will God use me? Can I believe what God's word has said about me? Will I actually be satisfied if I do what he has called me to do? Will I actually be fulfilled if I live these precepts? Is there really a power that will show up when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into my life? Will this manifest? Okay, I understand. We're, we're humans. We're likely to tend toward unbelief. Let me give you two powerful words that will help you change the filter. Instead of saying, that won't work for me, replace it with, what if? You should write that down. This is a word for somebody here today. You need these two words interjected into your personal life, into your walk, into your work. You need these two words. What if? When you hear the word of God go forth, you need to say, what if I don't have to be addicted? Glory to God, because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. What, what, what if I don't have to be angry? Oh, I know what you're saying. The filter says, oh, yeah, but, but they made me angry. No, 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 no. They just gently brushed up against that sponge that was filled. And whatever is in the sponge just squeezes out. If you're angry, you can't blame someone else. Many times we surrender that territory because we think, oh, I now have a right to be angry. What if you don't have to be angry? What if the fruit of the Spirit really is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? What if that will really show up? What if I don't have to be fearful? 
Because God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I know for some in this room and watching online, your trembling hand has reached for the prescription bottle as if that will soothe and and take care of the problem. It will never solve the problem. Most times it creates a greater one. I'm here to tell you, why don't we just stop saying it won't work and replace it? What if? What if? I don't have to live bound to fear and anxiety. What if? Let me say it to you this way, and we need to hear this, church. What if I don't have to be backslidden? Oh, come on. Come on. You need some good preaching sometimes. You need to come on. We got to look at the small. If we're going to see God do something big, we got to say, oh, no, I need to look into this, into this heart where Jesus comes and, and beckons his church in the book of Revelation. He says, return to your first love. You know what that says? It said, you don't have to be lukewarm. You don't have to be backslidden. Why? Because I've got a word and that word will produce in me and What if I don't have to stay this way? What if I don't have to stay tormented? What if I don't have to stay this way? And let me say it and say it clearly. What if I don't have to remain lost? What if I don't have to remain on my way to hell? What if? Oh, that's the question, friend. I wish every person in here who has never experienced Jesus would ask, what if I don't have to? And let me say, I have a word from God for you. You don't have to. Not another day. Not another moment. Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day where the word will work in you. What if? Luke 8, 15 gives us The summary of the reason why we need to understand this, and I believe the summary of the reason why God is speaking this truth to us today. It says, but the one that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a good and noble heart, keep it and bear fruit. You see, God wants you to know he's sowing his word to you today and that his word will work. Because he wants your life to be fruitful in the greater kingdom. He says, let the small seed do a big work and we'll see a great kingdom manifest in lives transformed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Filled with the spirit, flowing with love, seeing the real problems of our community diminish Under the weightiness of the truth of who Jesus is and what he is doing in and through his people.